0: Hey, 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 welcome back to the Finding Freedom Podcast here on the Lions of Liberty Network. You might be listening on that said network feed, which has two other shows one by Brian McWilliams on Wednesdays and one by Mark Claire on Mondays. My show is on Thursdays, of course. But you might be listening on my solo podcast feed called the Finding Freedom Podcast. Uh, you can find it anywhere podcasts are found. Just search for Finding Freedom. And if it doesn't come up, just put my last name in the search box, John Odermatt, it'll pop right up and subscribe. I would really appreciate a five-star rating and a nice little review on that podcast feed. If you've been listening to my podcast for a while, or even just the last couple of weeks, you'll notice that my show has had more of a health-centric focus lately, and that will continue going forward and certainly continues today, bringing on a, a doctor who has a tremendous amount of knowledge around gut health. And if you know me, uh, if you know me personally, if you're friends with me, if you are you know follow me on Facebook or Instagram, you'll know that I am very passionate about gut health. And uh, I really believe in what healing your gut can do to give you a better life, a more healthier life, and less symptoms from uh, all the issues that come up from having an unhealthy gut. So please take notes, and I really hope you enjoy today's episode. All right. We are live here with Dr. Thomas Hemingway. Uh, Dr. Hemingway, he is a holistic and integrative medical doctor. Uh, He lives and shares his personal and professional philosophy of prevention over prescription. I love that. I wish, wish more doctors were like that. Uh, He's passionate about sharing this message of natural health and healing through powerful practices, which are simple, doable, and can be life-saving. He has a goal of actually saving 100 million lives by optimizing health and wellness through natural means, which is amazing. He's uh, recently written a book. It's not out yet. Um, It's going to be called Preventable, Five Powerful Practices to Avoid Disease and Build Unshakable Health. I think that's coming out maybe this fall or summer. Summer, we'll, we'll ask about that. And he's also the host of a really good podcast, which I listen to pretty much every episode that he puts out. Um, it's called The Modern Medicine Movement. So definitely check that out. It's on um, all of the uh, podcast apps and uh, highly recommend uh, so Thomas, welcome to Finding Freedom.
1: Oh, thanks, John. Appreciate you having me, man. Super pumped to be here. It's always a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.
0: When we talked, we emailed back and forth. You know, there, there's a bunch of stuff that I could ask you about from a health standpoint. Every episode that you do on your podcast, you, you kind of zero in on a, on a certain, um, you know, health concern or, or issue or, or certain, you know, ailment to treat. Um, but something that you know i'm passionate about and you know my friends call me the the gut health guy i'm always talking about gut health <laughs> and i know that you're i mean your expertise in gut health is, is levels levels above mine you, you have the <laughs> the health background to uh to back it up the medical background to uh to back it up so i want to talk mostly about that today but before we get to that topic. Um, if you just for my audience's sake, if you could give some some background on yourself, tell them a, a bit of your story, a little bit of your your, your elevator pitch on on what yeah, you're all about. Yeah,
1: I, I would love to. I mean, I'm I'm a traditional trained you know Western trained medical doctor. I got my MD over 20 years ago, and what's been interesting about that journey is that I you know went to UC San Diego, which is a standard top 10 medical school, and they didn't talk much at all about things like gut health, for example, one is just simply because of the times 20 years ago, nobody was really talking about it. But beyond that, you know, we sort of were trained in this kind of uh, symptom based, you know, evaluation and treatment, which I think is a reasonable place to start. But I think a lot of times it misses the bigger picture, which is to get to the actual root cause of illness. And so Mm -hmm. ever since I was a kid, I was always super curious about the human body, and about more of a holistic approach to medicine and health and wellness. I, I've never, you know, been the guy that just jumps to the prescription pad immediately when somebody tells me, oh, I have this problem or that problem. And okay, quick, let me write the prescription really fast, because that would get them out of the office quicker or out of the you know, wherever I may be, I've been, I've been kind of a hospital based physician for almost 20 years. But uh, about a year ago, I stepped away from that role, because I just, I saw too many times that people were not really getting the help that they needed. In other words, I think here in the US, I can speak to that, because that's where I practiced medicine for the last two decades, that were really, really good at emergency care. And that's kind of been my specialty. I've been an ER doctor. And uh, we're great at treating, you know, accidents, heart attacks, strokes, all these kinds of things in the immediate, you know, several minutes to hours, we have unbelievable, super high quality, you know, state of the art care. But when it comes to managing the most common issues that people have from, you know, diabetes, heart disease, you know, the number one killer worldwide, many people know this, it's heart disease, and we're not making a very big difference. Despite all of the technology we have, all the information, all of the tools, for example, people are still dying. One in three deaths in the US is from heart disease. And heart disease is almost entirely preventable. And so Mm I've i known this for a while, and it kind of pains me to see people suffer unnecessarily. I feel like they don't all have the information that they need of how to prevent this condition because heart disease is almost entirely preventable, as is... Type 2 diabetes, for example, obesity, and most cancer, most people have no idea, but most cancer is actually preventable. And a couple of the things that can really make the biggest difference tend to be really, really simple things like gut health. Gut health is, it sounds simple. It's actually a pretty, it's a pretty potentially deep topic. You know, we can get into it. Tell me where you want to go with it and and I'll be happy to go there. But it's one of those things that if we really focus on how to get our gut healthy, a lot of other problems just kind of work themselves out. It's one of those really cool kind of common denominators, if you will, that can help us in so many different ways from blood pressure to blood sugar balance to decreasing inflammation, which is literally at the root of almost every ailment, including heart disease, including cancer, including diabetes, they all have inflammation at their root. And when you get your gut healthy, your inflammation goes away. It's amazing. So I've been passionate about sort of this natural approach for about the last decade, and I've really taken a full pivot in my life where I've stepped away from hospital medicine about a year ago to just focus Mm -hmm. on this natural, holistic process of helping people prevent disease and get better through mostly non-medical means. So it doesn't mean that I'll never write a prescription. I certainly do write them when necessary, but that's not my knee-jerk first response. I try to attack things from the so-called root cause approach you know which oftentimes in medicine we we don't do and i think mostly it's because we just we we don't take the time to do so it's not that we couldn't but you know docs are really pressured to see 20 30 40 patients a day and they just don't have time to really get to the bottom of things and it's quicker to just reach for the prescription pad which i just don't feel like is the best long-term approach and and if we look at the data we can see we're not getting much better in fact right now today uh we have 70% 70% of the U.S. population, seven zero, is overweight or even obese. And it's wow. it's getting worse and worse every year. And COVID and the pandemic has gotten worse because we're all at home. We're super close to our refrigerators and our pantries, mm-hmm. and we're snacking all the time. And so we're not making any progress here in sort of the traditional Western approach. So that's been my mission and my goal, like you mentioned, to save 100 million lives because there's so much that can be done that I think Most people don't really know about and they don't know how easy it can be to actually get their gut healthy and what a huge difference it can make. And I've seen that in hundreds, if not thousands of people that have been able to come off medication to feel healthier, to feel more energized, to be clear and focused, kind of lose this kind of brain fog that has been bothering them for sometimes years. And they've done it naturally and simply. And that's sort of the approach I'm taking currently. And it's, it's been, it's been amazing.
0: Yeah, I mean gut health fixing my gut gut health healing my gut has been something that um helped has helped me tremendously. I've it's helped me to to lose weight and not only to lose weight but it's helped me to be able to to, to keep it off in, in an easy way. Um you know, it's not not crash dieting or having to do, you know, calorie restriction and and those types of things. Um but there's so many benefits to it. It it's not just about you know, getting your gut healthy to, to lose weight. It's all of the digestive issues, right? And dealing with IBS and, like you said, inflammation. That's, I mean, that's gut health is the root to that, which is the root to so many different diseases. I think the place to start, what I want to start talking about, or ask you about, I should say, is what causes poor gut health? What are some of yeah. the, the biggest factors out there that lead people? Uh, down this path of having, because some of them are surprising, I think, um, of having, you know, issues with with gut health? Yeah,
1: let's let's start there. Because uh, if we don't understand sort of what causes a unhealthy gut, in sort of the medical speak, we call that dysbiosis, which just means an imbalance of your bacteria and microbes that live in your gut. So we, this is super interesting, I got to mention this, we as humans have you know, so many trillion cells, you know, depending on what data you read, it's 30 trillion one day, it's 40 trillion another day, but somewhere in that neighborhood of cells in our body. And in our gut, you know, in our GI tract, from our stomach to our butt, we basically have more than that, we have probably 50 to 100 million bacterial cells. And so we're actually outnumbered by them. But not not only that, it's actually super interesting, if you consider the amount of genetic material that these microbes have. So mostly it's bacteria. They make up the biggest part, but there's also viruses. There's also fungi, parasites, and things like that. Mostly it's bacteria, and they mostly live in our small and large intestine. And they have about 10 to 100 times more genetic material or DNA than we do. So we're actually more them than we are us. So I think just for starters, we should pay attention right number one we're outnumbered by them and number two there's more information telling not only them but telling our bodies what to do because these very bacteria that live in us that live within us and on us they actually send signals for example to the brain and they tell us what to crave or what to eat because they're selfish right their goal is just like you know darwin explained it's survival of the fittest they want to survive they want to survive and if they want to survive they're going to tell us what is the food that they like? So if it's the unhealthy bacteria, they will literally send signals to our brain telling us to eat junk food, processed food, you know, all the highly processed flours, grains, carbohydrates, you know, That's all the crazy. stuff that that we tend to like, right? Like the chips, the crackers, the <clears throat> you know, all of those things. So they are. I just want to pause. I just want to pause, want to pause on root. that
0: for a minute. So you, you, you're telling me if yeah. you eat a bag of of Doritos, uh, those Doritos <laughs> are going to go into your gut and be broken down, and then those little microbes that are fed by those the bad microbes that are fed by those Doritos are going to say, I want more Doritos and you get those signals to your brain. That's the craving.
1: Yeah, that's the craving. So it's not, you know, some people, they blame themselves and they go, Oh, I just don't have the willpower. You know, I sit down and I, I can't stop eating. I just eat one after the other. And then pretty soon I turn around and the whole bag is gone. Like it's not your fault. It's not you being weak. It's not lack of willpower. It's actually the science. These gut microbes literally send signals to your brain to tell you to eat more because that's how they survive. And beyond that, the folks that are making these, like they literally have laboratories where they study this stuff. Their goal is to make you crave this stuff. They want you to buy more and more and more, right? Because they sell more product, right? It's the bottom line. And so it's not you being weak. It's actually these gut microbes sending you those signals. And this has been well studied. There's been numerous papers on this. And it's fascinating. I mean, who knew these guys were literally... Potentially controlling our cravings and our desires, those little microbes that live in our gut. But the converse is also true. So if you eat real food, you know, whole foods, the foods that don't come with what I call the three B's, right? In a box, in a bag, or with the barcode, you're not eating processed foods. You're eating real fruit, real vegetables, real healthy, well sourced meats. You're eating real food. You will cause the good bacteria to proliferate and grow and they will send signals saying, Hey, why don't you eat more of that broccoli or more of that, you know, Brussels sprouts or, you know, the grass fed beef or or well raised chicken or fish or whatever that you eat, they'll make you want to eat more of that too. So it goes both ways. You can have the good cravings from the good bacteria or those sweets and other cravings from the bad bacteria and you ultimately get to decide who you feed, right? It's that old analogy, well, which Wolf wins, right? It's the one that gets fed. It's the one that you feed, right? So, <laughs> right. <laughs> so that's that's kind of at the base of it. It's really interesting that whole signaling process. It's it's a smart system. They send literally signals to your brain, so it's super cool. I find that so fascinating.
0: So I've I've heard you know some different things about the effect of antibiotics on, mm-hmm. on gut health, being that it can take like you know something like nine months or a year to recover from you know a single cycle of, of antibiotics. Is is that true? And how does that work? You know, what, what's happening when you take antibiotics? Yeah,
1: so what happens is, and, and it is true, and it does vary. So it varies based upon which antibiotic you are on. There are definitely some that are stronger than others that are so-called more broad spectrum, you know, for example, mm-hmm. and they can literally, you know, take your body six to 12 months to recover. Probably the simplest of all antibiotics you could potentially recover from in as little as six to 12 weeks. So it could be less than that. But yes, it is absolutely proven that it does take weeks to months to recover from one course of antibiotics. And the Mm. sad thing here is that here in the US, and most of us, I think, can appreciate this, right? We've been to our doctor for a cough or a runny nose or a fever or a cold or whatever. And we've often either been offered or given an antibiotic prescription for something that is 90 plus percent of the time a virus. So what that means is the antibiotic that we got doesn't actually treat our virus that we have. And so we're potentially wrecking our gut with an antibiotic that we never needed in the first place. The most conservative estimate, which is actually published on the CDC website, says that we prescribe about 50%. One in two prescriptions is wow. overkill, is actually unnecessary. And in my experience, it's probably even higher than that. It's probably closer to 60 or often even 70% if you're just talking about like a regular primary care office or an urgent care or something like that, um, that these prescriptions are literally being handed out when most of the time people don't need them. And so I'm not saying that you shouldn't take an antibiotic if you really need it, because there are absolutely cases where you may be dying of a kidney infection or a blood infection called... Bacteremia or sepsis, and I will be the first to put you on an antibiotic in that case. But if you have a little bit of a cough, a little bit of a runny nose, a little bit of a sore throat, or even kids that have ear infection, there's plenty of data from even the American Academy of Pediatrics that says that most of these resolve without antibiotics. So why take the risk? So what happens is that when you take an antibiotic, it kills both good and bad. And often it kills so many of the good bacteria in your gut that later Smaller populations of the bad bacteria that survive can actually take over. The worst case scenario is something called C. Diff colitis, Clostridium difficile. And this is something that's been out in the media. I mean, people literally die from this. It's a bad, bloody diarrhea where you get super sick. And this does happen more and more commonly in the last, I would say, decade than I've ever seen it before. Medical school is more something we just heard about. But because of the overprescription of antibiotics, this happens Pretty commonly, and it's really sad. You know, you know what's interesting? One of the few treatments that actually works if you get this really bad colitis from basically being on antibiotics is a stool transplant, a fecal transplant I've from that, yeah. somebody who's healthy that has a healthy gut floor. So they basically take poop from that person and they give it to the person that got this bad C. diff infection to try to give them. Good bacteria. So if you don't want to eat somebody else's poop, you know, be a little bit cautious and careful of how you take antibiotics. Ask your doctor, is it absolutely necessary for me to be on antibiotics? Well, because what of will it, they
0: do? It, will they, will they put it in, uh, in capsules and then you, you swallow it? Or so there's a they... lot of
1: different. Yeah. There's a lot of different ways. The most effective is they put down a tube down your nose goes down mm. the back of your throat and it goes into your stomach. And they basically put the stool through that tube. So you don't have to like taste it or swallow it, but you got to have this Mm -hmm. nasty tube going through your nose. I don't know if anybody's ever had that in the audience, but these are – I mean, you basically feel like you're gagging all the time. You got this tube that goes down the back of your throat into your stomach called an NG tube, and they put the stool through that. And that's generally how they repopulate the gut. It's a a nasty, you know, difficult – treatment that you don't want to have to take. But if your life is at risk, yeah. well, of course, you're going to do it. But that's, you know, the most interesting thing is it can be solved by healthy gut bacteria, which is what we all want in the first place to hopefully avoid this. So so yeah, that's one of the top, I call them the gut wreckers, you know, the things that wreck our gut health mm-hmm. or our microbiome. And one of the top one is antibiotics. And, and that's the tip of the iceberg. I mean, that's the one that we hear about. But there's also a lot of other things that folks can get over-the-counter that you would never even think of that could be harmful. Like, say you have a little bit of heartburn or a stomach upset, and you start taking these over-the-counter, you know, purple or pink pills that are all available yeah. without a prescription, you know, the so-called antacids or the what are called proton pump inhibitors, which is basically everything that ends in a z o l e. like pro, um, uh, Protonix is one, pro, um, there's like Omeprazole, there's all of these that are available now over-the-counter, Prevacid, you know, these kinds of things that literally will change the pH, you know, which is the acid base balance of the stomach. And that can be harmful to your gut microbes, because we evolved to have an acidic pH in the stomach, which is a lower pH so that the bad bacteria can't survive, like we don't want to have the bad guys survive. And so we have acid in our stomach for a reason. So if we're taking these antacids all the time, it changes that balance Making it more likely for these bad bacteria to survive and cause the very problem we're trying to solve, this dysbiosis or this imbalance of microorganisms. So most people, in fact, most doctors sadly have no idea that these simple, even over the counter medications people take for acid problems, you know, heartburn are actually wrecking their gut almost to the same degree as antibiotics. It's just. So is it, is it, it's so crazy to
0: me that the doctors, I mean, I understand, you know, the modern doctor is very busy. They're, they're inundated with patients. They have no time. Do they just not have the time? And I don't want to go off on a side tangent. Yeah. So let's, we'll try to limit this, but do they don't have the time to do this research to, 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 to learn about this or what, what do you think it is?
1: Yeah. So I would say a lot of it is that, is that, and it's not their fault. I mean, they're very, very busy. And I was like this for years. I mean, I was seeing anywhere between 20 and 50 patients a day, depending on the day, I mean, that's a lot, you're just, you know, cranking through and just trying to get through the day. I mean, you're so exhausted at the end of the day, when do you have time to read all the current research? You know, I mean, there is a CME, you know, continuing education requirement. But if you're not reading the right things from the right sources, you may never even see that. So a lot of it is just they don't have this knowledge. They're not aware of it. And like I said, it's not their fault. They're just so busy, they don't have time to keep up with the literature. In fact, the the data shows that most MDs, medical doctors, it takes them about 10 to 15 years to catch up with the newest research. So it's really a slow process. It's not one that I'm proud of. And unless you do your own due diligence to stay up to date, you're going to miss a lot of this stuff. Because if you're waiting for it to come out through the general sort of pipeline through medical school curricula or through like the american medical association these kinds of things It usually takes somewhere between 10 and 15 years for the newest you know data and research to actually come through those channels so it's it's a slow process you got to get after it you got to be you know on it and and most doctors just don't have the time they're so exhausted they work so hard and they just don't take the time to to stay up to date so yeah
0: Uh, it's crazy um okay so we talked you talked about a, a fecal transplant a way if you're in real bad <laughs> if you, if you're in real bad shape and I've also heard about it working for like you know different uh, maybe we'll talk about the gut brain access um, access later but mm-hmm. you know, helping with you know, maybe things like autism or different neurological um, issues a fecal transplant helping with that so mm-hmm. we'll get to that down the road but for people who are having issues and want to heal their gut um, what types of things, do you recommend? I know there's people who are in the you know the just only eat heal your gut by eating food camp. there's uh-huh. people in the supplement camp. there's people in in both camps um, where, where do you fall?
1: Yeah, so I believe number one food first. so I always strive to get as much as I can both nutrient wise, both you know, gut health wise, which would be like probiotics, you can get them from certain foods, right, fermented foods, I believe in a food first approach, but then supplementing to fill the gaps. Because right now in 2022, most of our food is actually much less nutrient dense than it was 100 years ago. And this is for mm-hmm. a lot of reasons. One, our farming techniques have, have although some would purport that they're better, they're better maybe in supplying larger quantities of food you know more corn more soy more rice more wheat but the ways in which they do it which is called monocrop agriculture you know and stripping the soil um, you know doing all this tilling and things they're actually raising up although more in quantity but way less quality and way less nutritious foods in other words the food that we eat nowadays has way less nutrition than it used to a hundred years ago. And this has been well known. There was a study Mm -hmm. that I read as early as 1938 that was studying the soil and the composition of nutrients, things like uh, magnesium, selenium, zinc, you know, these really important nutrients that they were even noticing a significant decline back in 1938. So here's the thing. Right now, present day, I don't believe we can truly get all the nutrients we need from our food only. I use that approach, I start with food, but then I supplement to fill in the gaps. Here's an example, 70% of the US population has a low functional level of magnesium, for example, we just can't get it from the food we eat. So seven out of 10 people need some magnesium supplementation. So, so I believe that there is a role for both healthy foods, which is always my first go to, Mm -hmm. as well as adding additional supplementation, this goes for the gut health as well. So probiotic rich foods are basically anything fermented. So from yogurts to kefirs to, um, for example, um, there's different soy products like miso soup, like in Japan, they love miso soup in Hawaii, where I've spent almost three decades, we love miso soup, it's a fermented soy, tempeh is another example. Um, pickled vegetables is another example, kimchi, sauerkraut, you know, these are all things that are real food, but carries plenty of probiotics. A lot of us don't love a lot of these foods that I mentioned. So many of us can't get enough of these probiotics or the healthy strains of bacteria that we need. And so in that case, um, I think many people will benefit from taking a probiotic supplement, because many of us are lacking and so I, I'm sort of in the middle, I believe, in both the food-first approach with supplementation to fill in the gaps. So sorry for the long-winded answer, but I'm kind of right in the middle of the camps.
0: <laughs> hey, taking a quick break here to tell you about a podcast you should check out from our friend, Justin Campbell. It's called the Fact Check This podcast. If you're fed up with fact checkers flagging everything as misinformation without actually backing it up then you should definitely join Justin every Monday and Wednesday to fact check the fact checkers and to get the truth about what's going on in the world check it out everywhere podcasts are found fact check this no that that, that was a great answer so w- when people go out to look for you know say a probiotic what are like some, cause there, I mean, you can get all kinds of different probiotics. You can get them at the the grocery store. You, you can get them, you know, online from Amazon. You can get these, you know, very expensive probiotics from, you know, from different, different outlets. What, what should people look for when they're looking for a probiotic? What's the, What are the most important things?
1: Yeah. So this is actually, uh, you know, an hour long response, but to cut to the chase, you got to do what I do with my food, which is go for the quality stuff first. And when you're looking for a supplement, you got to go with a company that has a super strong sort of quality process, you know, typically, because no supplement is quote, unquote, uh, evaluated by the FDA or the Food and Drug Administration, which is what, you know, evaluates our food, so to speak, and the pharmaceuticals, no supplement goes through FDA evaluation. So if anybody tells you that, you know, hey, well, ours is approved by the FDA, the FDA actually doesn't, Um, approve any supplements, they leave that to the consumer. And, and so you have to do a little bit of homework on your part to make sure the company that you're buying the probiotic from has good manufacturing process or GMP, and a lot of them will have third party validation. And most of the solid companies out there will state it right on the label. You know, we follow good manufacturing process, Mm -hmm. we use third party evaluation to basically say that what we say is in our supplement is actually in the supplement, you know, and then you look for the absence, or the lack of different, you know, fillers and ingredients that should be in a chemistry lab and not in something that you swallow. So you want to look for natural ingredients, you want to look for something generally speaking, that's um, non, you know, GMO, that's plant based organic, that has what it says it has. So with respect to probiotics, like you said, there's so many out there. And there's some that are better than others, you know, some will say, Oh, well, if it doesn't have to be refrigerated, then it can't be a good one. And that's totally not true. <laughs> it depends on how they are processed, packaged, encapsulated, if they're freeze-dried. You know, there's there's a whole laundry list of things that I could talk about. But basically, you want to make sure it comes from a reputable com- company that uses good manufacturing process and that is third-party validated. That would be my starting point. And, mm-hmm. and it's difficult to say, well, you need this many... Billion of this uh, bacteria, and this, and this many billion, and something else, because it's really. Cons- I, I feel like it's really confusing to the consumer. Mm-hmm. So my recommendation is to usually talk with somebody, whether it be a physician and a natural health practitioner, somebody who's got experience in this area, because they're going to be able to kind of help you navigate this sort of Google, you know, sea of information. I mean, you can find mm-hmm. anything to prove anything you want on Google. So sometimes it's hard to sift through. All the chaff to get through the good stuff, you know? Um, so there's definitely a lot of good companies out there, um, and they generally follow all the same uh, standard rules, which is the good manufacturing, the third party value uh, valuation, and that sort of thing. So
0: <laughs> what, what would you say to somebody? say they they go to their doctor and uh, they want to start taking a probiotic. And, you know, we were talking about doctors before not being up on the research and their doctor says, ah, you don't need to, you don't need that. You don't need to waste your money on that. What would you advise somebody, somebody do? Should they find a new doctor? Should, I mean, where do they go from there? Yeah,
1: sometimes I would say that if your doctor or healthcare provider is not even willing to talk about, you know, gut health or probiotics, then honestly, you may want to consider, you know, working with a doctor who... Is willing to talk about that. In general, if you look for somebody that is a quote functional medicine or integrative medicine doctor, they usually have a strong background in gut health, in, you know, probiotics and supplements and things like that. And the traditional MD, honestly and sadly, doesn't get a lot of that training in medical school. And a lot of people don't know this. In a regular four year medical school, there is usually only about a two-hour requirement for nutrition and that sort of thing. And the entire medical school curriculum. And nutrition, I would humbly submit, is probably the most important thing that you can take control of with respect to your own health to Mm -hmm. govern your health future is literally your nutrition and what lies at the end of your fork. And most doctors have Very, very little training. And it's really sad. It's not their fault because they didn't get to choose what they focused on in medical school. But if they don't choose to read and keep up with the current literature and research, that is their fault. And so if you have a doctor that's not even willing to talk about things like gut health Mm -hmm. and probiotics and supplements and things like that, if they're not even willing to talk about that, you should consider looking for a new doctor. And there's a great website called I. Fm.org and Institute of Functional Medicine.org. And you can find a doctor in almost any place, at least in the US, and I know there's a bunch uh, throughout the world as well. So it's a good resource. o-r-g So
0: I, I did not know that. And I'm I'm looking, currently looking for a, a func- <laughs> functional medicine doctor. So that's that is good to know. Wow. Uh, okay, so well let's just talk about it now. I was gonna wait till the end. Actually, before we do that, let's talk about Sugar, artificial sweeteners, um, you know, something that is super frustrating to me is, you know, you go to the grocery store and you try to find like a, a healthy protein bar <laughs> and literally you can't, I mean, everything either has sucralose in it or aspartame in it or, or corn syrup in it. You can't find it. It, do, it doesn't exist. And I'm not sure why, but it, <laughs> it's, it's almost impossible to find. So Talk about like the uh, – because I think it's a conception out there that, you know, sugar is bad for you. And I think, you know, to some degree it is, a little bit mm-hmm. of sugar. You, you need yeah. some sugar. But people just go to these artificial sweeteners, the, the diet drinks and things like that. <laughs> what's, what's the impact the, that they have on so, your So, uh,
1: yeah, all of the artificial sweeteners, like a few of those uh, that you mentioned, like sucralose, which is Splenda, or Aspartame, which is like the one in Diet Coke, for example – Uh, NutraSweet, a lot of these have, you know, chemical based sweeteners, which will wreck your gut bacteria. So this is one of my gut wreckers. It's basically artificial sweeteners, artificial flavorings, artificial colors, you know, anything that says color number three, four, seven, eight, Mm -hmm. nine, like these are all artificial colors. If it says anything with, uh, like I said, the chemical sweeteners, like Aspartame, Sucralose, you know, Splenda, these kinds of things these will wreck your gut. But also, you could say that high fructose corn syrup is a natural sweetener. It's even a plant based sweetener, but it's a, one of the worst sweeteners out there. High fructose corn syrup is one mm-hmm. of the primary causes of what's called non alcoholic fatty liver disease, which is now the most common cause for someone to need a liver transplant It used to be alcohol. Now, This non-alcoholic fatty liver disease has overtaken alcohol in causing the worst liver disease requiring transplant oftentimes. And it's basically caused by eating too much sugar, primarily in the form of high fructose corn syrup. So if you're looking
0: for a- And they put it and it's in, they put that stuff in baby formula. Baby formula, almost everything.
1: It's maddening. It's maddening. It is literally terrible for your body in many ways. But one is its effect on the liver, but also because it's so- dang sweet. So it just makes you want to crave things that are very, very sweet. So I love that you mentioned sugar, it's literally the top of my list right next to antibiotics as things that wreck your gut, the more sugar you eat, the more the sort of bad actors, so to speak, will populate these bad gut Mm -hmm. bacteria, which are going to then signal your brain to want to eat more sugar. But to answer your question, all of the artificial sweeteners have this effect on the gut, as well as the artificial colorings, the artificial flavors, the artificial thickeners, you know, these things called emulsifiers. I I live by what I call the five ingredient rule. So if you're looking to buy a, let's say it's a protein bar, and if it has more than five ingredients, Mm -hmm. you should take pause and make sure you understand what all of those ingredients are. Mm. If they sound like they come from a chemistry lab and you have no idea what they're for, I would leave that granola bar on the shelf. Don't buy Mm -hmm. it. Like literally make sure you know what's in your food. And the the tricky thing here, John, is that there are 20 or more different names for both sugar, high fructose corn syrup, there's rice, brown, brown rice syrup, and none of these are very good, to be honest, they they all kind of cause similar responses. So it's a little tricky to navigate. And this is where you kind of have to go back to the real food, whole food kind of process that I talked about at the beginning, we seek food first, because Anytime you buy something in a package, it's going to be suspect, not only for the artificial sweeteners, but for lots of other potential additives. And the one that I haven't even talked about is something um, that soybean oil would fit into this category, the seed oils. Most people have no idea that these are bad for them. And they're found mm-hmm. in almost everything that comes in a package. Vegetable oil, soybean oil, uh, corn oil, uh, canola oil, even if it says organic canola oil, rice bran oil. Um, grape seed, rapeseed, sunflower, safflower, all of these oils are bad for you. They're literally causing significant inflammation in the body and most people have no clue. And almost everything we eat that comes from a package has these oils. Like salad dressings are a terrible offender. Almost oh, yeah. every granola bar out there has some kind of canola, soybean, some kind of oil in it. and Most people have no idea that it's bad for them. The reason it's bad is because it causes inflammation. And inflammation is literally the heart of illness. It's what causes most illnesses, inflammation. So you got to go for the stuff that has the natural oils that don't require processing, like avocado oil, like coconut oil, mm-hmm. like the classic, you know, extra virgin olive oil that our Mediterranean neighbors are consuming. Like they use the quality oils, you know, and we use the processed ones because they're cheap. You know, they save money. So, yeah, no, it's tough. You got to read the label. If you're looking for a sweetener that is not going to be really messing with the the sugar balance in your body, something that comes from a natural plant, for example, stevia, uh, monk fruit, these are sweet, but they don't cause the same kinds of blood sugar issues that high fructose corn syrup would. So I generally look for something that has either stevia or monk fruit, so honey, for example, is a good source of natural sugar. Um, if you use it sparingly, like I'm not recommending you dump bottles of this on your food or, or whatever, but like a couple of drops or a small drizzle of just natural honey, honey actually has a lot of other beneficial properties besides the fact that it's just sweet, right? It has mm-hmm. antibacterial properties, it has uh, so called phytochemicals and phytonutrients based upon what these bees are feeding off of. So I I really like honey as a sweetener, as well as stevia and monk fruit. Those are kind of my go-tos. Uh, the sugar alcohols like erythritol, those are okay as well. But definitely steer clear of the high-fructose corn syrup, the aspartames, the splendas, the sucralose. And they are everywhere, like you mentioned. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's it's crazy. Like you said, every, once you start reading labels, you, your mind will be blown. I mean, it's the stuff that doesn't even make any sense. Is- Let's now talk about the gut-brain axis. Uh, you know, that's something that, you know, we hear, or at least I hear a lot about. I don't know how, how widely known it is, but I think it's starting to get to the point that people are starting to understand that, you know, things like anxiety and, you know, are, are tied to uh, are, are tied potentially to, to things going on in your gut. So can you talk about how the gut-brain axis Works. And I'm sure you, I mean, you probably have dedicated an entire podcast to this, but at a, at a high level, um, give us yeah. some of the uh, inner workings. Yeah,
1: so um, absolutely. And this is something I would say that is relatively new. Maybe the last decade, this research is really coming out showing that your gut health, the bacteria that live in your intestinal tract, really affects a lot of your emotional health. So, like you said, if you suffer from anxiety or depression or PTSD, a lot of these kind of what I like to call brain health issues, uh, the common medical person would call it uh, mental health. I just think that mental health has some kind of a negative connotation. So I don't love it. But a lot of these conditions mm. do have not only a root in the gut, but they can also be dramatically changed and positively influenced by working on getting your gut healthy. On the flip side, they can get worse if your gut is unhealthy. So there is this thing called the gut-brain access, and it's basically a whole communication network that connects the brain with your gut or your intestinal tract. The primary nerve is called the vagus nerve. It's V-A-G-U-S, and what goes down the vagus and goes back up the vagus does not stay in vagus. This nerve literally connects with your whole entire body. One thing that people have started to share is that serotonin, which is that sort of happy hormone, that neurotransmitter that we, you know, hear about in the brain, because there's a lot of pharmacological, you know, treatments or medications that are supposed to raise serotonin in the brain, for example, to treat things like depression. Well, it turns out that 95, 95% of all the serotonin in your body is actually in your gut, 95%. So way, way more of it than is in the brain. And what happens in the gut, like I said, this nerve called the vagus nerve does not stay in the vagus nerve, it goes back up to the brain. So the serotonin that is produced in your gut by the healthy cells can literally elevate your mood, because that neurotransmitter, that happy hormone will go to the brain and affect its, you know, its job is to help you to feel good. And they've found this not only in just serotonin, but also in dopamine, um, in adrenaline, a lot of these other what are called either neurotransmitters, neuropeptides, uh, hormones, a lot of these have basis in your gut. So what's cool is they've studied, for example, people that um, don't have, for example, um, maybe some of these uh, brain health issues, they don't have anxiety, they don't have depression, and they compare the gut bacteria that they have compared to somebody who does have either anxiety, depression, mm-hmm. um, bipolar, a lot of these conditions, and they find that their makeup in their gut is very different. And like you said, at the outset, these people literally could be treated with a fecal transplant or a stool transplant from somebody that has a different gut uh, bacterial makeup, and that could actually get them better or they could be treated by just changing a few things about their diet by you know reducing or stopping most of their processed foods processed foods are one of the biggest offenders you know that cause unhealthy gut and these are not only things with just sugar in it or the high fructose corn syrup or the processed flours grains etc but they have those other offenders like we talked about the artificial ingredients the seed oils all these kinds of things and so the first priority it's just to change your diet. So what they have found is when you eat real whole foods, they lean towards um, growing the population of healthy bacteria, specifically one that's been studied recently. is called Ackermansia, Akkermansia, and that's been shown to improve not only your gut health, but your brain or mental health. So oftentimes, and I'm sure you've experienced this, I know I've seen it in dozens and dozens of people, including my own family members, that when they got their gut healthy, Some of their issues like anxiety, like uh, depression, have literally just melted away. And the cool part is this is a natural thing, right? You can change this by your diet, by adding a probiotic supplement, for example, without having to take a pharmaceutical, which most of these medications that have been approved for treatment of depression, for example, have about a 30% efficacy rate at best, so this is basically about the same as a placebo. A placebo has. And there's about all the side effects too. Side yeah. Effect. yeah. And then you have tons of side effects. So yeah. besides just diet, um, other things affect the gut and the health of the gut. Things like getting appropriate sleep, getting you know daily movement or exercise, decreasing your stress levels, all of these also affect the populations of the gut. And so if you are doing these healthy practices, and in my book I detail five basic practices, which are exactly those food first, exercise, stress optimization, proper sleep. And then the fifth one is right here, gut health. So if you optimize those five things, you can not only prevent so much disease, but you can reduce the chances that you will get a lot of these common things like anxiety, depression, um, all these sort of brain health or mental health challenges. So it all feeds back to the gut. It's actually super fascinating.
0: Well, that is awesome, and I know you have a hard stop coming up, so I want to let you go. But but before that, um, want to give you a chance, plug everything, plug your podcast, the book, website, social medias, all that stuff.
1: Yeah. Oh, thanks for the opportunity. So yeah, my you know main avenues are, for example, on Instagram, my podcast, you can look for me at Modern Medicine Movement. Uh, also, my regular Instagram is at Aloha. You know, the Hawaiian word A L O H A Surf s u r f and then doc d o c aloha surf doc because i'm from hawaii and i love to surf and i just I, I love all things health so aloha surf doc modern medicine movement my, my website is modernmedicinemovement.com uh, i also have if you just click the easiest place to find me is just on either of those instagram accounts at aloha surf doc or at modern medicine movement if you click on the link tree you'll see links to my website you'll see links to i have a free weekly newsletter that has health pearls that go out once a week usually on a thursday um, my podcast generally comes out on a thursday i have one coming out you know in just a couple of days that i think you guys will love it's something that uh, actually one of my own i have a group now called the thrive community mm-hmm. which is kind of like a vip uh, access group where i do separate trainings i do live zoom calls i give them more of me, more of my time, more of my attention. And that's that's a paid community. So you can also find links to that as well. But I'll, I'll offer your audience, if they sign up for that, I'll give them one of my free health courses. I have uh, about seven different health courses. One is on gut health, actually. Awesome. And they can all be linked up on my Instagram at AlohaSurfDoc or at Modern Medicine Movement. But at a minimum, please follow me there. Sign up for my free newsletter. I have tons of free content. I love to help people. I love to share this important, literally life-changing information that honestly is simple. It's not difficult. It's not challenging, but it can literally change your life. So thanks so much for having me on, John. Really appreciate it.
0: Well, thank you for coming on the show and thank you for being so so generous with your time. And I just want to reinforce and encourage people to check out um, Dr. Hemingway's podcast and his book and, and all that stuff, because it is it's high quality content. It's, it's good stuff. So I'll link to all that stuff on my on my show notes page as well. And thanks again for coming on the show. Yeah,
1: I appreciate that. One, I forgot to uh, really talk about the book, but the website is thepreventablebook.com. And that should be live this week. I actually went over awesome. some final changes with my website person. And so that should be live this week. And the book's supposed to be due August, 2022. So just this summer, the book is coming out preventable, five powerful practices to avoid disease and build unshakable health. I'd love for you guys to grab a copy of that. So make sure to check that out as well.
0: That's exciting. This is your your first book, right?
1: Absolutely. My first official book. It'll be the first of many. I actually have a second book in the works and a third and fourth in my mind. And uh, I just love sharing good, high quality information. Sometimes it's so hard to sift through all the weeds out there. So I can't wait to get this out to you guys.
0: That's cool. I'll definitely pick it up. Thanks again for coming on the show.
1: Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, John. And a big aloha to all the audience out there.
0: Hope you enjoyed another great interview on Finding Freedom today. Um, I hope you're also enjoying the, the shift that I've made on this show, bringing on different types of guests with uh, backgrounds in, in health and wellness. And we'll be talking to experts in, in finance and business and entrepreneurship. And I'm really looking forward to digging into these areas, like today's episode, where there's really going to be things where where tactically you can apply things that you learn during these shows into your life. That is really my goal going forward. Um, Harry Brown wrote a book, How I Found Freedom in an Unfree World. And the way that we're going to find freedom in this world, I don't think is through going to the ballot box. We find freedom right here in our daily lives by creating and maximizing and expanding the freedom that is available to us. We can't wait for someone to grant us freedom. And a big part of our freedom is taking care of our own bodies and, uh, and our health. So we um, are not held back by the limitations um, that we've put on our bodies by ingesting bad foods and not eating the right thing, uh, that we're not able to to live to our fullest potential. But it's it's important that we take care of our bodies and we maximize our lifespan, our lifetime, and and our health throughout that time, so we can get the most out of life. Um, I think that is definitely a uh, a principle of being a free person. So if you're enjoying these episodes, please. At the very least, give me a, a five-star rating and a nice review on the on the old podcast app, either on the, the Finding Freedom podcast feed or on the Lions of Liberty Network feed, wherever you listen. And and if you love the show and if you haven't joined the Lions of Liberty Pride yet, um, you can learn more about what it is. Basically, you get bonus content, you get community, you get a lot of great stuff. Um, we really do spoil our Lions of Liberty Pride members. So you can check that out at Patreon. Dot com slash lions liberty or lions of dot locals dot com to get more information. That's all I got for today. Have a great weekend. Always remember to keep your head up and the fires of liberty burning.